Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Donise Sandoval. She's the founder of Lava May, which turns old muni buses and other vehicles into mobile shower stalls and toilets for homeless people. When she started, the city had just 16 showers for its thousands of homeless people, despite having a budget bigger than many states. Now Sandoval has expanded her program to the East Bay and Los Angeles and is spreading what she calls, quote, radical hospitality worldwide. I'll be right back with Denise Sandoval. Well, Denise Sandoval, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to see you. Um, always great to see you, Heather. <laughs> Lava May has been operating in San Francisco for five years now, so congratulations on that milestone. Thank you. Um, can you briefly explain to listeners who aren't familiar with it what you do um, for people in your nonprofit? Sure. Um, we started five years ago by converting a muni bus into showers and toilets on wheels, and then we grew our programming. Um, in 2016, we launched something called Pop-Up Care Villages, where we bring anywhere from 25 to 28 partners to the street to provide a range of services. We sort of married Project Homeless Connects model with our model of being on the street. But essentially, we see that what we're trying to do is to transform the way that communities see and serve our unhoused neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I love the origin story of Lava May that you've told me before, but I was wondering if you can repeat that for listeners about the woman you saw that kind of sparked this idea. Sure. Um, so it really started with my neighborhood gentrifying. Um, and then I knew I wanted to help, and I knew that if I just kept my eyes open or my ears open, I might see a need that wasn't being met. And sure enough, I passed a young woman on the street who was panhandling and she kept saying over and again that she would never be clean. So I went home that night, and I did the research, and I found out that there were about 16 showers and as, about as many toilets for the 7,500 people in this city who were unhoused. And I just thought, how could that be possible in a city with so much affluence, in a city that has over 107 millionaires per square mile, and I think it's like now 60-plus billionaires, and yet yeah, this crazy. is our reality, right? So when I um, picked up a Chronicle a few months later and Good read, yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> read that um, the feds were going to be giving SFMTA millions of dollars to retire the diesel buses, the marketing person in me went, oh, my God. You need a great story to raise money, and what better story than to take something people love to hate, mm -hmm. a muni bus, and do something good with it. <laughs> uh -huh. And so the idea for Lava May was born. And so now how much of a presence do you have in San Francisco? And I know you're also in some other cities in California. We, um, we serve four sites um, four days a week. Um, we're in Los Angeles. We serve five. And in Oakland, I think the East Bay, also Berkeley, and soon to be Alameda, we have eight or nine sites that we're serving. And you coined the phrase radical hospitality, and you call homeless people who use your showers and toilets guests. Why do you use language that you're more likely to hear in a hotel than at a homeless nonprofit? You know, shortly after we started, I began watching the way that um, one of my very first um, team members was treating people. And it occurred to me that the way you treat people is actually more important, really, when you come down to it than the service itself. And when I explain this to people, I like to use the example of the DMV. 
Um, you can go to the DMV and nobody's happy to be there. Nobody's happy to serve you. Nobody's happy to wait for your service. And yet you get your needs met, but you hope you never have to go back. And unfortunately, the way that we serve um, people who are unhoused is too often like that. And so I thought, you know, when you get to have the experience of going to, say, like a Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons, they know your name. And if you go back more than once, they've locked down your preferences and they get to know you and you feel special and cared for. And it seemed to me that people who were struggling, who were really, you know, at the bottom of the rung, who most of society sees as an outcast and as a pariah, they more than anyone else needed to have that feeling of being treated well, of being treated like they were valuable and seen. And so radical hospitality, you know, became the core of what we do, right? It's seeing the highest in the person who you're engaging with. And it's something that we try to live in all walks of Lava May, not just with our guests, but with each other, with volunteers, with passersby. I think it's really transformative if we could all treat each other as fellow human beings with a deep, deep-seated um, level of care and respect. We live in such a different world, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like that is uh, that attitude is kind of disappearing in other parts of San Francisco. I, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about seeing homeless people and almost as if they're other or they're not yes. even a human. Um, yes. And I, you know, just to sort of digress a little bit, the idea of other is something that I think every human being has experienced, right? Whether it's when you're in middle school, whether it's because your skin is a different color, whether it's because you're older or because you're overweight or whatever, every single one of us has had a moment in our lives of feeling otherized, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good. No. And if you can just remember that, that is what it's like to be unhoused. And we need to change that um, in order to sort of really begin to move the needle on this issue. Mm -hmm. And so you're breaking some news on the podcast today. <laughs> um, you've surpassed a big goal um, early. So can you tell me what the goal was when you were hoping to achieve it and what, you're, what you've realized? Yes, we set ourselves a goal to serve 30,000 unhasked Californians by the end of 2020. This past month in August, we surpassed that goal 16 months ahead of schedule. Wow, that so never happens. <laughs> we were utterly stunned when we started to look at our numbers three months ago and go, oh my God, how is this possible? And yet, yeah, there we are. And the, these are 30,000 unique individuals? 30,000 uh -huh. unique individuals. So these are in San Francisco, Los East Angeles, Bay, and, and East Bay, yes. And I think I read that it was 70,000 combined showers. Yes, we're, I think, close to 75,000 oh, wow. showers. And that includes also then like another 8,500 people that we've served through our pop-up care villages. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and that news that you've actually um, beat your goal <laughs> is almost unheard of in the field of homelessness, it seems like, since everything seems to take so much longer than planned. Um, and I know you've told me before you would never want to work inside City Hall, partly because of <laughs> that reason. Why is that? And what advice would you give to bureaucrats who are struggling so much to get a handle on the city's homeless crisis and actually are seeing numbers slide backwards rather than forwards? 
I think it's partly because we are focused on innovation and collaboration, right? We tend to say yes. We're willing to take risks to try service in new places with new partners. They don't have to have a 501c3. They don't have to have five years of proven results. You know, it's just about getting in there and figuring out what works. It's also that, you know, when we started, we didn't think we were going to grow beyond San Francisco. And then we ended up in Los Angeles. And then we ended up in the East Bay. And so um, when you see, when you stay open to the possibilities, um, when you also are at that place where it's okay to embrace some failure and mistakes and you recognize that you learn from those and get stronger and better, I think that enables you to be more nimble and responsive to the opportunity. And that is really what has cemented, you know, our success combined with the deep collaboration that we do in all of our work. And you guys just don't have red tape because you're about, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're a private nonprofit who's about innovation and not we St are stuff getting in your way, which seems to happen at City Hall all the time. Yes, it's a very different scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like your scenario better. <laughs> uh, what did you think when you saw the recent homeless count numbers in San Francisco showing a 17% spike in homelessness in just two years? I would say we're not surprised. Um, you know, what we have been tracking for sure is, you know, the news on the national level about how this economic boom has really left, you know, over 60% of Americans behind, you know, and when you live in a city where the cost of living is so high that, you know, the vast majority of people can't afford to live here, when we see um, our own nonprofit employees having to start thinking about living farther and farther away and commuting in for their jobs, it's not surprising to see the numbers increase um, all up and down the West Coast for the most part. Um, and... My fear is that with the impending downturn in the economy, that things will get even worse before they get better. That's a scary thought. If the mayor asked you for advice on tackling homelessness, like I think she probably would be wise to do, what would you tell her? Well, I think obviously we need housing. I mean, that's not in question. We've known for two decades that housing first works, but that is a struggle here. Um, I think more money, much more money needs to go to prevention. The pipeline is huge and we need to stop people. I mean, research has shown that if you can create an early intervention for people that you can, you know, um, change their downward spiral. I also think that we need a greater focus on people who are new to being unhoused. Catch them quickly because the longer you stay on the street, um, the harder it is. Your self-esteem is completely destroyed. And the conditions on the street are just growing worse and worse. I mean, we are within these three different metropolitan areas, and we see the difference in how local responses affect attitudes and abilities to move forward. Sadly, San Francisco, especially because of the tent encampment sweeps, have really made it more and more difficult for our guests who have been more chronically homeless to have any sense of hope about ever escaping that's different in L.A. I mean, that might change because the mayor is now going to start enforcing the sit-lie laws and doing the tent encampment sweeps with care. But, um, you know, there's a bit of anxiety that's growing there that wasn't. Whereas in Oakland, the city's response with the community cabins has been much more positive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we have to think about this wisely. We need, we need compassionate responses as opposed to punitive ones. 
Right. Uh, what do you think of the, um, she doesn't call them sweeps, London Breed, but other people say that there are sweeps being done. What do you think of those which are clearly sending in public works um, and police to I move people along? I think they're horrific and tragic. I mean, we've seen video after video of people who step away for a moment and have their wheelchairs and all their belongings thrown into crushers. Um, you know, we've heard from the Coalition on Homelessness that people are supposedly given tags that they can go and then, you know, reclaim their belongings, but then they go and find, you know, their valuables taken. Um, this is really problematic. And I recognize that we, we people can't be in, in these areas, you know, just living like this, but we need to figure out, you know, where are there buildings that people could, we could quickly refurbish? Mm -hmm. Where are there plots of land where we could create, you know, tiny house villages? Um, Amy Farrah Weiss, who mm -hmm. ran for mayor, is actually working, trying to push forward, um, I think on Jones Street, a tiny house village. These are the kinds of solutions that make it possible for people to step back from their fight or flight, you know, state, the amygdala response, gain a sense of calm, and be able to use executive function to make more positive decisions for themselves rather than being in a state of terror and panic the mm -hmm. whole time. And so you mentioned Oakland, and do you like their approach better in terms of what they're doing? I mean, there's a lot more that can be done, but I do think that the community cabins are seeing great results. It's something like 40 to 50% of the people who are being placed in the cabins are then you know, being moved into um, more permanent housing and getting jobs and whatnot. Our guests who are there are super grateful, right, and much more... Um, clear-minded about their path and trajectory forward and achieving those goals as opposed to in the other cities where we're operating. Mm -hmm. What I like about Lava May is that you're not just leaving people on the streets until this magical housing will be built in one of the uh, world's most expensive cities, you know, someday. You're providing them dignity and even just small things like the ability to take a shower and use a bathroom and get clean um, in the meantime. So I think that that is something the city doesn't really consider. We have fewer drop-in centers than we used to, fewer places for people to be during the day, fewer bathrooms and showers and lockers and laundry and all of that. Stuff. Right. I think the thing is there's a mentality that it's like this is people are choosing this, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we provide fewer services, then there'll be fewer people. But that's not true, right? That's a complete fallacy. And the thing is that, you know, if we aren't, you know, these are called Band-Aids. You know, mm -hmm. all of these services are called Band-Aids. But what happens to people while we wait for housing to finally be made available, right? They just spiral farther and farther downward. Their mental health erodes, and then we have more of that kind of challenge. Um, we have to... We have to treat people with dignity and care and, and acknowledge their humanity while they're in these dire straits, mm -hmm. right? That's really vital. Yeah. What has been the hardest thing or harder than you expected about helping homeless people in San Francisco? Oh, holding their stories. Mm. Um, day after day, my team is out there. And I used to spend a lot more time on the street, obviously, when we started and you fall in love with these people as you get to know them and you learn about who they are and what their hopes and dreams are. And to watch them, you know, over a period sometimes of years, really realize that it's getting harder for them to escape and to fall into these deep sense of despair is so difficult. Or to watch, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we had a woman in the showers who was in there for two and a half hours, which is really rare. Most of our guests are in and out because they know we're trying to. Do you have a time limit? We, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes is what mm -hmm. we give people, and I would say ninety-nine percent of our guests meet that. Um, 
they had, our team had to call security, which they never want to do, but mm -hmm. they were worried that perhaps she had OD'd or something. And the door was finally opened, and she was repeatedly dumping bleach on herself, right, because she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, my gosh. These are the stories that, that we hold day after day um, when you're out there on the streets and facing people's reality with them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And now that you've um, surpassed your goal earlier than you anticipated, I understand you set a new one, which is more focused on expanding this worldwide. So um, you're going to train 75 communities in the next five years to serve 100,000 guests around the world. <laughs> you're <laughs> very ambitious. ambitious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it important to you to expand this beyond the Bay Area in California when we have such a major crisis here? Oh, well... Early on, I learned that this was a problem that was actually happening around the world, not just in this city. And we started receiving inquiries from as far away as Zimbabwe and Mongolia, as close as New York and San Jose, saying either teach us how to do Lava May or bring Lava May to us. So in 2017... You couldn't bring me any buses to Zimbabwe? I know, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> um, we created an online toolkit on our platform called Build It, and it has been now downloaded over 2,500 times. And we have also like been fielding uh, conversations and mentoring groups. Um, and to date, there are almost 150 communities who have launched mobile hygiene um, following our model. And so what we recognize is that we are really amazing at uh, teaching and sharing and providing, uh, enabling actually other communities to do this work, right? And what we know is that we, we don't want to grow Lava May. I don't want to sit on top of a mobile hygiene empire, especially <laughs> when the best solutions arise from the community where the problem exists, right? They know the nuances of their challenges and opportunities in a way that we as outsiders never would. So we are doubling or tripling down on our effort to make this possible around the world because it's whether it's from um, classic issues of displacement like homelessness or whether it's the refugee crisis that's being faced by Germany and Spain and other countries, this is a desperately needed solution. Great. Well, best of luck. I'm Thank sure you. you'll surpass it in a few weeks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the biggest myth San Franciscans have about homelessness? Um, oh my gosh, there's several big competing myths, I think. Um, one of them is that people come from somewhere else. They're not from here, right? When the point in time counts, and this is a myth that exists across the country, mm -hmm. and the results, uh, the facts never play out. It's, you know, 70 plus percent of people were here when they became unhoused. So many of our guests are born and raised in San Francisco, um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a painful reality for um, us to embrace. The other is that everyone is either mentally ill or um, addicted to something or just choosing this lifestyle. And the vast majority of people are not. They've had some major life crisis. We see people who are making $100,000 a year but got evicted and are living in their cars. We see, oh my God, growing number of older people who are on the streets who have fixed incomes and got evicted and are struggling to pull it together and find resources um, and they're on the streets. And my team is telling me that we're starting to see a whole bunch of new faces, mm. you know, even since the count and that we're seeing younger and younger people on the street as well. Wow. But there is um, 
to be clear, a major problem with untreated mental illness Absolutely. and drug addiction on our streets. Absolutely. Too. But I think those are more visible. And so we probably don't see the yes. people you're talking about. Exactly. And yeah. also, I think, you know, even with those problems, some of it is chicken and egg, right? Yeah. Some people have gotten to the street and the only way to cope because it's so horrible out there is to resort to some sort of substance abuse mm -hmm. or I mean, if I had to be on the street for even a few days, I think I would just totally lose my mind, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, because you can't sleep and Right, can't sleep shower. deprivation, dehydration, you know, just this whole loss of self-esteem and self-worth. Mm -hmm. That is crippling. Yeah. And you have a young daughter, and I was wondering if you can discuss what advice you have for San Francisco parents who aren't sure how to explain the misery we see on our sidewalks to mm -hmm. our children. Yes, she's 12. Um, you know, we talk about this a lot. And I think the thing you have to do is you have to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Your kids see this, and they may not, you know, of their own accord, raise the issue with you. And I think that it is your job to actually address this and make them, let them know the truths, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not sure what the actual realities are, then go online, go to the Chronicle site, <laughs> right? SFChronicle.com. <laughs> yes, get the facts and talk to them about it. Also, remind them, you have to embrace this yourself, that these are human beings that are on the street mm -hmm. um, and that they deserve dignity and care and services and that our responses need to come from a place of love and kindness and not punitive um, responses because mm -hmm. those only make things worse. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And now you've um, survived our serious questions, <laughs> and it's time for the lightning round, <laughs> which makes some people more nervous. <laughs> right. I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> what is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Okay. So I'm not a burrito girl. <laughs> yeah. Tried, but I just don't love them. I'm a taco queen. <laughs> That's what our last guest said, too. Bart board director Janice oh, Lee is well, with might... you. All right, Janice. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I love La Morena by uh, Lupe Moreno, who's an alum from La Cocina. Oh, cool. What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, hands down, it's uh, Vertigo. I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. Okay. Where do you like to go for a stiff drink? In San Francisco, my favorite bar is Shotwell, which is on 20th and Shotwell. And I love its history. It began like in the late 1800s as a grocery store slash saloon. Ooh. Like, right? If I could go grocery shopping now with a glass of wine in my hand, <laughs> I would be very happy Maybe ever. this is your next business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last book you read? Um, I am, I'm a big fan of YA, um, and I read the whole seven series of Throne of Glass. Mm. And young, YA is young, young adult. adult. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what was your first concert? The Talking Heads. You were totally prepared. I feel like you probably listened <laughs> no, to my lightning No, I round. do. <laughs> <laughs> Giving money to panhandlers, good idea or not? It's a personal call. Mm -hmm. um, I always give money, mostly because I tend to spot someone a long ways off and I see hundreds of people passing them and not even making eye contact. I also just never know. I mean, maybe they'll use it for a drink or something else, but maybe it will be you know, the last dollar that will help them piece together a meal or a sandwich at Subway. Mm -hmm. What's one thing the average San Franciscan can do to help address the city's homeless crisis? 
educate yourself on the facts. I think that that's really, really important. And um, I'm going to give you a second one, which is jettison the nimbyism, the not in my backyard, because I I believe that that is one of the biggest obstacles, right? We can try, we can, you know, provide money for housing, but if every neighborhood says, don't build it in my backyard, don't put that navigation center here, then we're never going to make progress. Mm -hmm. Embarcadero people, I hope you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Meditation now. Yeah, Mm. that's kind of new, but I'm doing it faithfully. (laughs) Good. Well, thank you so much for coming today. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you to Denise Sandoval for joining me today, to Erica Carlos for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. 